One of the things that scares me the most about making videos about another country and another culture is that I will get information wrong and be spreading false information. But by being asked to come on national television, being asked to be in interviews um, by Albanians, by Albanian TV stations, by Albanian magazines, um, it shows me that I have the support of, maybe not everybody, but I have the support of a large part of the Albanian people because I'm showing their country in a positive light. I'm representing their country in the way that they want their country to be represented, but not the way that the world sees their country. You are listening to the Behind the Lens podcast, a podcast designed to share stories of creators from around the globe as a testimonial to their successes and failures in order to motivate others to go after their goals and chase their dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two. Our guest is a professional life liver, freelance videographer, and travel photographer. After purchasing his first camera in 2014, he moved to Maui to pursue an internship in youth ministry through a local church. At the end of his internship, he returned home to Alabama, working full-time in order to travel more. After a year working full-time and embarking on some trips here and there, he decided he didn't have enough time to travel. So he quit his job to pursue freelance video production while pursuing his dream to travel the world. Fast forward 48 states and 28 countries later, he is currently documenting and sharing his experiences through a YouTube series called My Albanian Life. This week on the podcast, our first guest, James Lightheart. Well, first, I want to just, you know, say thank you for being willing to, you know, jump back into it and come back onto the podcast after uh, <laughs> after after this, the lost episodes yes the lost the lost episodes of this podcast why don't you just start by um, telling the audience or the people listening um, a little bit about yourself and kind of just paint a picture of like what it was like for you growing up here in the states um, I grew up in a small town in northern Idaho um, I wasn't born there, but you know, through a variety of different moves, my family ended up there when I was five or six years old, and so then I lived there, I think five, um, and then I lived there for 13 years, um, was homeschooled for most of my childhood, and then in 10th grade, I was a sophomore in high school, started, started at a local um, classical Christian school. Um, it was very... I mean, almost kind of what you would expect in small town, like not a lot to do. You knew the same people. You couldn't go five minutes in town without seeing people from your church. Um, everyone at my school went to the church that I went to, basically. So it was, it was always, I mean, almost seven days a week with the same people every time. And all of my friends knew knew all of my other friends, you know, that sort of thing. And, and we didn't really um, venture outside of those groups of of. The, those like little communities very much. I mean, I would go play basketball at the rec center um, with some of the some of the public school kids or whatever. But for the most part, I was not um, interacting with people that I didn't go to school with. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's 
it was it was a lot of just kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, didn't really go many places. Didn't really travel much. Didn't really do much as far as like um, creative outlets. Um, I tried. I mean, I was forced into piano lessons and guitar lessons. Couldn't do either of them very well. Um, you know, never even bothered trying drawing because I knew I was terrible at it. all of those sorts of things. So to me, it was it was basketball, and it was always basketball. So. We had a hoop in our. We had two hoops in our driveway. One that we could raise and lower. So I'd lower it, play with my little brother, and dunk on him, and you know that sort of fun stuff. Um, <laughs> and then we would use the higher hoop when my older brothers would come, and I would be the one losing um, significantly. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of. I mean, it was basically school, basketball, and sometimes hanging out with friends. Sometimes trying my hand at different sports. Um, and then when we would travel as a family, it was always to see, um, oh, like my grandparents who are, who are in, um, uh, Columbus, Ohio or, and in, um, Atlanta, Georgia. So, I mean, it seemed, we tried to do it once every few years to go see one or both of those sets of grandparents, but my life, you know, until I was out of high school was boring in a word. You know? Boring. Yeah. Yeah. Boring. But I was working towards the goal, uh, you know, a particular goal. So to me, like it was boring, but like, especially once I got into high school in my mind, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm working towards this goal. So it's like, I'm bored when I'm not playing basketball. You know, my goal was to play basketball in the NCAA and, um, I was, I was bored when I wasn't doing that. But then my solution to that would be just to go to the rec center or to go to the driveway and just shoot, just practice, that sort of thing. So, you know, it's, it, it's um, if you're not working towards something, the boredom kind of comes in more. But I remember being a little kid and just kind of being like, okay, I did my school for the day. Now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see how that's a... Uh... That could be boring. I myself also live in a small town up in the up in New England. Um, got maybe three thousand people here. Uh, yeah, so my town was slightly bigger than that. We, I think we were at like twenty thousand. Um, but the University of Idaho was in our town, so a big part of the population was somehow associated with the University of Idaho. Yeah. Um, and so summer times would slow down, and then in my like particular community, it was like a thousand to to two thousand of. Um, people. So, you know, the town was 20,000, but that's still small enough where, you know, you have your community of like a 10th of the population. And so you see them everywhere anyways. Yeah. In this town, it's, you see everyone everywhere, but it's also everyone knows everything. People, you, you say something to anyone and everyone will find out somehow or some way. Yep. I can definitely relate to that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you mentioned that you uh, you wanted to play in the NCAA um, in in college. Um, so after high school, what was it like going into college? You know, playing basketball and pursuing that um, throughout your yeah. post high school academic career. So after high school, I moved to northern northern yeah north no sorry northwestern Georgia. Um, I went to a small school called Covenant College um, that was right on the border of Tennessee and Georgia, 
right next to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, the school was um, transitioning into the NCAA Division Three when I got there. So, um, and and I ended up, I initially picked that school because that was the one that the coach had, had talked to me the most and like, you know, actually recruited me and other, other schools had, but like they didn't really seem that interested. And, and this was something that, um, you know, it was a place that I liked. It was a couple hours away from my grandparents and, uh, well, it's a place that I liked. I'd been there one time before that and I liked the, the two days that I'd been there, but I'd never seen, I'd never been in any classes, didn't have any idea what I wanted to major in or anything. All I cared about was playing basketball. Um, and realized quickly that I needed to care about more than that. Being a division three school, I couldn't get by just by playing basketball. Um, I needed to be able to do my studies as well. Um, so then I found something that, that piqued my interest enough that I was, you know, okay going to class. Um, and I, and I studied community development, um, international community development and youth ministry. Um, and so those things like were interesting enough to keep me going to class, but I would never say that I was passionate about any of them. I mean, my goal was to play college basketball. I had gotten there and I was doing it. And I mean, that's all like my, all, basically all of my decisions going to college were, were based off of completing that goal, that, that dream that I'd had since I was like five or six years old. So, so how do you go from studying uh, community development and youth ministry and playing basketball to a creative career as the one that you've established for yourself <laughs> in filmmaking and photography. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, when I was in college, I had like an iPhone four or something like that. And the, and the glass lens cover on the iPhone was broken. So there were these dust spots on every photo that I took, but I still like enjoyed kind of taking them. Um, and I would try to, you know, I'd seen angles and things and I tried to do that. Um, but it was really nothing. It was like, oh, there's a cool tree. Take a photo of it and post it on Instagram or whatever. And my Instagram page has come light years since then. I don't know if, yeah. Um, and it, uh, what ended up happening was I, my senior year of basketball, I finished and didn't, know what to do. I mean, I'd been working for 15 plus years to accomplish that goal and I'd done it for four years and I got to the end of it and I was like, well, this is the end of my basketball career because I'm not going to play pro. So now what do I do? Um, so I needed to find something else to do. Coincidentally, at the same time, I had applied to do an internship in Hawaii um, at a church doing youth ministry at a church in Maui. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to Hawaii. Everyone that goes to Hawaii takes a GoPro. So I bought a GoPro Hero 3 Plus Silver and took it to Hawaii with me. Um, and then started taking photos, started just putting together little edits of hikes that we would go on, all with a GoPro, just your standard GoPro stuff, you know, um, nothing very exciting. You know, taking the GoPro thinking, oh, the GoPro's going to make me look like the people in the GoPro advertisements doing the triple backflips off the massive rock. <laughs> no, it didn't happen. You know, so it was mostly... A, so what I ended up doing is I was like, all right, how do I make these hikes more like these videos more interesting? Because when we cliff jump, it's just like a jump or sometimes a flip or like something random. But like, it's not very exciting. So I started like doing other like 
getting establishing shots of like you know the woods that we're walking in or i'd like hold the gopro above and i stand off to the side and my friends would walk underneath it just to try to get stuff like that and then all of the photos that i was taking were on my gopro as well um editing them in the photos app on my on my macbook air at that point and basically the editing was like pull the saturation as high as possible to make hawaii look nice and colorful and it makes me want to puke now that when I see those photos <laughs> that I edited back there, back then, you know. Yeah, looking um, at the photos and just yeah, you know, too much color, yeah. way too much. Yeah. Um, but I was doing this, and people, I was noticing that people um, were enjoying the photos, and I think most of that was just because it was Hawaii. But then I thought I was getting some people that were like you know, oh, this is a great photo, this is a great photo, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just because it's Hawaii. And then I thought, you know what, why does it have to be just because it's Hawaii? Like, maybe I could actually practice and get better at taking real, like, taking good photos, and it doesn't have to be just the, because the photo is Hawaii. Um, so then what I ended up doing is is buying a, I don't even remember what the first DSLR I bought, but it, it didn't, it barely shot video. Uh, I mean, it shot 720, I think it was a T... Two Canon T2 or T2i or something like that, one of those two. Very basic, I mean, extremely basic camera. Um, but it was something more than a GoPro. You know, I could, I could play with depth of field. I could play with things slightly different than I could just with a GoPro. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of where that started developing. And then, and then as I was doing this, I was enjoying it. And so at, the, at work, they were like, hey, you know, these kids are going to the beach for this beach day. We should make a video about it. Sure, why not? So that's kind of where the videos started, just throwing together montages of stuff. Um, and the photos was just like, yeah, let's go hiking. There's a cool waterfall. Click the GoPro button and like kind of on time-lapse mode, move it around a little bit and maybe one of these photos will look good. And most of them have water droplets on the lens, you know, like GoPros often do. Yeah. But it was just kind of that sort of thing. And then it just kind of developed from there. It's like, as I kept going, I was like, well, actually this, this pulling the saturation all the way to 100% doesn't look that good. Um, how do I learn how to edit photos better? And so I was, would watch, I don't remember if I watched YouTube videos or read articles because I wasn't really into YouTube when I was in Hawaii. Um, but just things like that where I was like, all right, how do I get better at doing this thing? Because I'd found, I'd found this, I'd found somewhere else to put my passion into. Um, you know, my senior year of college, I was getting up at 6 a.m., didn't matter the day, you know, it could be the day after a road game, getting up at 6 a.m. to go and shoot free throws in the gym to, to work on, on my craft, on what I was doing. And that translated really well into photography because then it's like, all right, get up at 6 a.m. to go take photos of the sunrise or, you know, just like putting in that, that work, that dedication to try to get things done and try to get better consistently, um, kind of translated straight from sports and, and what I'd worked at in sports to try to get better to the creative um, creative field, creative side of things, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I can see, you know, you know, you working to, and then building up sort of into that creative field and taking videos and stuff, um, how that sort of kind of moved you into doing that work 
freelance right. and now professionally. Right. So that's, I mean, that's kind of how that worked. And then, you know, as, as it kept going, it, it moved on to other things and, and different, I mean, that became what I did for fun. And then eventually I was like, Hey, I'm, I think I'm good enough at this that I could, I could get paid to do this maybe. And so that's kind of how that ended up coming through. I'm, yeah. I mean, if you look at the best example that I can think of is um, Kobe Bryant. After he retired from basketball, he played 20 years or something, 19 or 20 years for the Lakers and then retires and he's thinking, and he ends up trying to figure out what he's going to do next. And he moves to a creative, creative field. Um, and there, I mean, it, he's not the only one. He's just the one, the first one that comes to mind and he starts creating and then he won I feel like he won some. He won some major award. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he won some major award for the the animated rendition of his um, retirement letter. You know, he wrote a, a he wrote some he wrote a poetry or something called "Dear Basketball," and then he someone animated it, and that's what they did, and that and that won an Oscar or, or some major award. And it's like, this is a dude that's known for NBA championships and then moves and he starts writing and starts producing videos and this sort of stuff. And people are like, oh, okay, wow, this guy can do that also. And I've heard multiple times where when you finish a career or a, like, like you accomplish a goal or you finish one thing and you can't do it anymore or you can't do it to the same level anymore, oftentimes you have to find something else to replace it and, and with athletes, a lot of times, the replacement is something creative, something mental. Um, and not always mental, but like something that you spend more time thinking about rather than like, I mean, and I'm sure there's other examples, but um, you know, it's, it's something that's not like, I'm gonna beat my body to the ground so that I can get better. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a different style or a different way of, of producing results, I guess. And so, to me, it made sense. I mean, I had a my basketball coach. He played uh, water polo, I think, when he was in school. Interesting. And when his water polo career ended, he was like, oh, I didn't really know what to do after that. He's like, so find something to do. This was like the day after my last game. He's like, so find something that you can channel that energy and that passion into. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I don't know what that would be. But pretty quickly, I found it. And now, you know, that's like... Basketball is a second, uh, a, an afterthought to me mm -hmm. now. I still enjoy it. I still play when I can, but it's not my primary focus anymore, ever. Yeah, because you've sort of shifted into this this world of creating content through photo right. and video. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you did your internship in Maui. Would you say that sort of kick-started... Uh, your desire to want to travel the world or when did you first know that you wanted to travel and see other countries and cultures? The traveling really came, I mean, part of that was in college um, because I studied uh, like uh, international community development. So we talked a lot about culture and other cultures and the way other people did things. Um, and then as part of that program, I had to do an international internship. So I ended up going to South Africa for uh, three months in 2013. And being there, 
like opened my eyes a little bit more to like just the world and I was like, wow, this is so interesting. Like people do things so much differently here. Even though I was in Cape Town, South Africa, which is a very like modern, very first world area, it there were parts of the aspect and parts of the culture you'd see these guys singing traditional songs on the street and it's so different from buskers in the US, you know? And so is that trip paired with just like constantly like studying culture and differences in culture that kind of spurred the the desire to travel. Um, and to me, I'd always wanted to live, maybe not always, but during college, I was like, oh, I want to live in another country at some point. I think that would be fun. So going to Hawaii was almost a stepping stone to that where like if you, when I lived there, it's obviously a U.S. state. It has been for 60 years, but you oftentimes don't even feel like it. I mean, people in Hawaii don't refer to them, refer to Hawaii as a state. They refer to it as the islands, you know, especially the, the people that are originally from there, the native, the local Hawaiians. Um, and it's like, it was like a stepping stone to living in another country to a certain extent, because it's like, okay, you get the perks of being in the U.S. Like, you know, you still use the same currency. My bank still worked, like all of that. So my cell phone still worked. Yeah. But you get the, the culture, the, the Hawaiian Polynesian influenced culture that's different from the mainland US that is like, okay, there's more to this, to the story of these islands than, you know, the, the, the war for independence in the US, you know, like Idaho. Yeah, sure, Idaho has history, but like it's all Native Americans probably and they're not, like they're not so prevalent there that I'm like learning about the Native American history of the town that I lived in. But I go to Hawaii and I hear about all the all the kings before and, and oh yeah, this is how we do this. And I mean the Hawaiian the, the Hawaiian language is still incorporated into life in some in some ways. Not all the time. I mean everyone speaks English because it's you know it's normal. But they have words and phrases and and ideas that are all like based on their like ancient culture, which to me was super interesting. So being in Hawaii, then I was like, all right, this is, this is a, like, it was a taste of what I wanted, you know? And so I was like, all right. So that ultimately the reason that I left Hawaii is because it was so hard to be there, to live there, make enough money to live there and make enough money to be able to travel. Not to mention the fact that traveling anywhere from Hawaii is an extra, at least five or six hours because just to get to LAX is, you know, maybe four and a half, but like five to six hour flight. Yeah. And then, and then you can get it, you know, anywhere in the world, but it's like that first initial flight and then it adds five or $600 onto each time you want to buy a plane ticket. Yeah. Not to mention so I was like, the cost of living in Hawaii is fairly high as it right. is. Exactly. So I was like, you know what? I could live here and, <clears throat> and make enough to, to barely scrape by, make enough to live on, or I can go move to Alabama where my family lived now and the cost of living is much, much lower and I'm closer to big airports and I could potentially be able to travel more. Yeah, so living in Hawaii kind of opened up your eyes to traveling the world in a different culture, but it was really, you know, moving back that kind of gave you the ability to travel to more countries. Right, exactly, exactly. And it wasn't, it wasn't immediate. I mean, I moved back and got a full-time job that paid me more money than I'd ever been paid before in my life. I mean, two years removed from college, that's not difficult. 
Yeah. But then I was like, all right, well now I have money, but I don't have any time. So ultimately that's why I ended up um, quitting that job because I was like, I need more time to be able to travel. And so I saved money. I spent, I spent that money, well I didn't spend it all, but like I bought all of my camera gear from the money that I made at this job that I, was fine. Um, but it, it was, it had to do with basketball and it had to do with ministry and that those were not passions of mine anymore. So it was a good job to have, but it, ultimately it, it didn't, it wasn't fulfilling for me. Yeah. So you quit your full-time job and saved up some money to travel. How many, how many countries have you been to to date? Um, to date I've been to 28 countries. Um, but that counts the U.S. So I've visited 27 countries. Yeah. That number has grown since the last time we talked. I believe last time you said 19 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it probably has um, because I've, I don't remember the last time we talked. I, don't, I mean, I don't remember the date, the date that the last time we talked. But yeah. um, at the end of November, I, went, I did a road trip to Montenegro, went visit Croatia and Bosnia. And then over Christmas, I was in the Czech Republic as well as um, uh, Vienna, or Austria, and um, Slovakia. Yep. And then in February, I spent a couple of days in Germany and then took a train and spent a couple of days in the Netherlands. So, nice. So you definitely, yeah. you know, you got that opportunity to see more. Plus, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, living over, over in Europe uh, has opened up more doors to travel to nearby countries because the cost for traveling is a little bit cheaper um, since they're so yeah, close. Most definitely. It definitely makes it easier, especially, I mean, the fact that I could drive to Montenegro. I mean, I rented a car and it was, it was like four hours to get to Montenegro and then six to get to Croatia. And I mean, Greece, Greece is just a few hours from me right now, but I haven't been there yet because I keep thinking, oh, I'll be there eventually. Yeah. So how did you, let's sort of backtrack a little bit. So how did you first get introduced to Albania? My first introduction to Albania was, was after I, uh, after I had graduated from the, graduated, sorry, after I had finished this, uh, um, was it? after I quit, after I quit this full-time job, I was traveling around a bit and my dad got asked to speak in a couple different places. Albania was one of them. And these people said, oh, you can, the, the people asking him to come speak said, oh, you can bring your wife if you want. Well, my mom was too busy. And he said, well, can I bring one of my, one of my children? And they said, yeah, sure. That's fine. So my dad told me, he said, you, if you pay for your plane tickets, these places will cover where we stay and our food. And you can come with me and come to Ukraine, um, Albania, and then England. Um, and so that's what I did. And I came to Albania for about three days with him. Um, two, he came to speak at the university actually that I currently work with, at the nonprofit that I currently work at. Um, and that was my first introduction to the country. Didn't really know anything about it beforehand. Um, I knew that it existed. I wouldn't have been able to pinpoint it on a map, but now I can. <laughs> So yeah, my first introduction was just like a three-day trip with my dad, not a lot going on. And then, and then he was speaking at a mini conference or something, and a, and a few of the students, master students from the university, 
um, asked me if I wanted to go hiking. So I went on an overnight hiking trip up into the mountains with five Albanian guys that I had never met before. That's awesome. You know, just yeah. oh, you yeah. know, that you were able to sort of that door opened for you, um, being able to travel to Albania with your father when he was giving that, uh, that talk and at that university that you currently work at. So you go to Albania and, you know, you sort of experience the country for the first time and with, and meet some people along the way, but what made you decide to actually move to Albania? Um, <laughs> a couple of different things that ended up happening. Um, but basically I was just ready for a change in my life. I wasn't happy. I wasn't, you know, I didn't feel like I was successful. I didn't feel like I was progressing. I didn't feel like I was moving forward at all. And I thought, you know what, it's time for a change. Um, at the time I had been delivering pizzas and doing video work on the side, but didn't have enough clients to, to make it worth or to make a living at all. So I, um, delivering pizzas to make some money. Um, went back to Hawaii for a month to visit some friends as well as be in a friend's wedding. And then um, went to New Zealand for a month, just did a road trip through New Zealand with a friend of mine that I'd met uh, one time before we went to New Zealand. Um, and it was on that trip I was like, all right, like, I don't want to live in the, like, I don't want to live in the U.S. anymore. What, what can I do? How can I get out of the U.S.? Um, so I had actually found, I have a friend in Kosovo who has a, who, who, um, graduated from a, 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 an American school in Kosovo that I, that I talked to and thought about going to work there. And then I heard a, saw a comment on Facebook somewhere from someone that I knew at this university that, oh yeah, we're kind of looking for a video guy. Um, so I emailed the, the guy in charge, the, of the media department here. And I just asked him, you know, I was like, hey, are you still looking for somebody? I would love to apply if you're still looking. Pretty quickly, a couple of days later, he said, yeah, we're looking for somebody. You know, let's have a let's have a Skype call or something. Yeah. Um, and then we had the Skype call a week or a couple of weeks or something after that. And uh, the Skype call came across as him trying to convince me to come, you know, telling me what my salary would be, how, what kind of work would be. Like, I was like, this is not an interview. I was expecting an interview. Yeah. Um, I was like, yeah, that all sounds great. You know, let's figure it out. So then I, I don't remember how long, but soon after that I got offered a, a contract, offered a job. And then I got here and, and, and my boss now, he and I were talking about it. And I was like, yeah, it seemed like that first Skype call was you just trying to convince me to come. And he said, it was. Um, he was. had been watching, yeah, I'd met him when I first visited Albania in 2017. So a year before this email, um, exchange and he'd been watching my YouTube videos since then. Um, and so he knew how, that I knew how to edit and he knew that I could edit quickly because I would, I would do, I would turn things around in a day or so if I, if I wanted to, that like I could do daily vlogs, you know, that sort of thing. And he was watching these things and he was noticing these. And so when I sent him an email saying, hey, do you have an opening? Can I apply? He had been looking for someone who could edit, who would um, be self-motivating to come up with ideas to make videos and who could edit quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and basically I checked all those boxes. And so when I emailed him, he immediately wanted me to come work here, which is crazy to me that like this, like what I considered like just 
for fun throwaway videos has ended up basically being my resume. Like they didn't, I mean, I sent a resume, but they didn't really care about the resume. They didn't care what I, what my grades were in school. They didn't care about what my major was. They, he'd seen my YouTube work and that's what, that's what made him want to hire me. Yeah. So, you know, your, your work on YouTube inadvertently became your, your, um, portfolio of work. Right. Exactly. Which opened up that door for you to work at this this university, which brought you to Albania. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, so you, you get this job in a fairly quick turnaround time, and now you're moving to Albania. What, what would you say was one of the, the hardest parts of, you know, just picking up your life and, you know, moving to Albania for this amount of time, you know, you're pursuing a a career path that, you know, aligned with your interests and it was stuff that you are already doing, but now you're just going to be doing it professionally for this university over in Albania. But you are six hours ahead of Eastern standard time and on the other side of the world. So what was, what was one of the hardest parts of, you know, root uprooting your life and planting it in Albania? Um, this might sound kind of harsh, but like there, <laughs> there wasn't really anything. I mean, there wasn't really anything to uproot because after living in Hawaii and my interaction with most of the people that I knew at that point, all, my family, anybody, any friends from college or anything, my interaction was through texting and FaceTime and phone calls. Um, and so now moving to Albania, to me, it wasn't that much different um, because it's like, I don't have anything that's tying me down. And that's one of the things that like caused me to want to move is it's like, I have no ties anywhere right now. I mean, I, my family's here, but like my, my relationship with my family is not so strong that it's going to prevent me from like moving somewhere else. And my family's scattered. I mean, I have a big family. They're scattered all over the, the United States. And so, especially at that point, they were even more scattered. Um, and so I just was like, there's basically there's no time like the present you know there's nothing there's nothing holding me back there's nothing holding me to one place and so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go for it um so i know the question was what's the hardest and that's a relative question yeah and i honestly have no idea <laughs> there wasn't <laughs> because really I'd already difficult about making that decision to uh yeah not really i mean i when i got the the offer i was like yeah i'm moving going to Albania like I didn't even have to consider it yeah well that's great because you know it's opened up a lot of uh, a lot of doors for you um, you know freelance wise and professionally within your career of um, being a creator and creating content right. for the university right. um, but also you know before that you were creating uh, content for YouTube you know you did a daily vlog for a hundred days I believe a hundred days yeah you had your your videos that you had made in some of the other places that you've traveled both around the U S and around the world. Um, but moving to Albania sort of opened up the doors for you to create content over there as well. And, you know, it's not, right. it's not like a, a regular travel adventure vlog, you know, but you also, that captures your activities as a tourist considering that you live there, but you know, you're, you educate others, on the culture and the history of Albania and explore interesting topics. You even made a video about, you know, the mail delivery system and yeah. the currency. I'm glad you there. thought that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, I thought it was interesting to the point where, you know, 
not a lot of people know a ton about Albania, and you know you're kind of bringing this to them uh, exactly. through the video that you're your videos that you're making. Um, but in addition to, you know, doing your own research, you also talk with the locals about, you know, the history and the culture that's so deeply rooted in their society over there. Um, but how did you come up with the concept for, you know, your mini series, the, uh, the My Albanian Life uh, vlog series that you post on your YouTube channel? Yeah, so the main way that I came up with that concept was before I moved here, before I go anywhere, I look it up on YouTube mm -hmm. just to see what it's like, see who's been there, see what kind of videos are made of there. Sometimes it's to get excited. Maybe there's a cinematic video of a country that I want to see. You know, there's thousands of those of New Zealand. And so that always got me really excited to go to New Zealand, but there was nothing. Well, almost nothing about Albania. You had backpackers that would travel through, spend a day hitchhiking through Albania and they would have some um, clickbait title like, you know, is Albania safe or something like that. But it's really just not anything, um, any, any substance to those videos other than just following them along in their travels. You have history channel type videos where it's just one guy explaining different things, but it's like a 20 minute video or like an hour long documentary style video. And you're just like, okay, that's just boring. It's too so much. I wanted to, yeah. Right. And I wanted to find some way to be able to share more of what happens here, more of what life is like here, so that people in the future, if they're trying to come visit or trying to move here, they can see my videos and be able to better understand things. Um, so there were a few different things that, that really went into that. Um, one of which is like, I'd seen all of these um, travel vlogs or travel videos that are like, oh yeah, look at how beautiful this place is. Nothing against the guy. Sam Colder is the one that I go to all the time. He makes fantastic videos, beautiful videos. Yeah. But I get bored because I'm like, okay, cool. Beautiful scenery, beautiful footage. What else you got? Yeah, where's, you the, know? where's the story behind it? Exactly. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with like the story being the vlog of your trip or the vlog of your day, but if I don't know you, that doesn't interest me very much. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to do videos like that. So what ended up happening was when I visited Ukraine two years ago with my dad, one of my dad's friends, this Polish guy, saw me recording myself and he goes, oh, that's so narcissistic. And I said, what? No, it's not. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, it is. I said, I'm sharing my experience. He says, what makes you think someone cares about what your, exper like, what your experience is? Yeah. And so that got me thinking, and that was kind of when I shifted away from like, let me just vlog about what I'm doing and tried to make more story-like videos. My videos started having more substance. I would spend more than just a day shooting them. Um, and I still make little vlogs like that on a, I have a second Instagram page that I upload like 60-second vlogs on. And I try to do those daily sometimes when I travel. Mm -hmm. But I was like, okay, with YouTube, I want to shift away from these like five to eight minute videos about me going and doing things, you know? So I've, I've, I did a few more after that that were just kind of fun videos. But it, I mean, the, when I went to New Zealand, it was not a vlog. It was just like, look at all this beautiful footage. Um, I did one where I went hang gliding in, in Georgia. And it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was my experience going hang gliding, but I tried to talk 
about more than just, okay, now I'm walking over here to do this. Now I'm getting on the hang glider, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, so then coming to Albania, it was like, okay, I don't want to make these videos about me. I want to make them about Albania. So if you watch these videos, you often don't learn anything about me as a person. You can if you look back in some of my other videos, but in these Albanian videos, in my Albanian life series, I don't talk about myself. I'll talk about my experience sometimes because, because Albanians care a lot about um, what other people think of their country. They, they like to ask what other people think of their country. Um, and so I'm happy to like, okay, I'm going to do this. And obviously I'm in the video, so it is about me, but I don't, like I'm not talking about oh, this is something that's been really hard or this is what I'm struggling with. Or if I'm going to another city, I don't vlog the journey to get to the other city, typically, mm -hmm. or ever. It's yeah. like, okay, now I'm in this city and this is what we're doing. Just launch right into the topic of the video without the fluff that, that makes the videos longer. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing was that really solidified it is when I decided to go to Prague, I decided to look up Prague on YouTube. And there's these two guys... Call, and they have a YouTube channel called Honest Guide Prague, where they make a video every week, and it's just a different different tips. Think of like a like a tourist guide booklet, but in video format. And they have dozens, maybe hundreds of videos. So before I went to Prague, I was like watching the video of like how do I get from the airport to the city center? Where are the best places to eat? Where are the cheapest places to eat? Um, what are some cool walks to go on? Like, and they've made all of these videos, and so I thought. This is an information database for people that want to visit Prague. What if I did the same about Albania? Yeah. So my goal was to kind of show people outside of Albania, this is what life is like. This is what things are like. What ended up happening is <laughs> most of my viewership comes from Albanians that want to watch their own country on YouTube. Yeah. And then they share it with their friends. And there are a lot of Albanians that live outside of the country, so it's a way for them to show their friends and be like, oh, look, at this is was filmed in my city, or look, at this is, this is um, you know, how we do this certain thing in Albania, or this is what, this is like what it was when I would go visit my grandparents on their farm in the mountains, you know, that, things like that. Um, and so it wasn't really my, um, that wasn't my hope. I'm still trying to target tourism that's trying to come to Albania. Because yeah. one of the things that helped me decide that I wanted to move here is I was like, I've always kind of wanted to work with tourism industries. And I was like, this is a country that doesn't have a lot of tourism, and I think it's going to have more. And then I think it's going to start booming in five years. Yeah. So I want to get in, get my foot in the door, and if I can make videos like this that people are going to look at to be able to come here, that, like, that can help people the way that some of these other, these Honest Guide Prague guys have helped me, I think that'd be cool. It's a, it's a, it's a market that's untapped, you know? Um, and since I've gotten here, I've heard about a handful of other people that make similar, that, that make um, YouTube content that are here. But there are so few that it helps my channel grow because no, almost nobody else is doing it. Yeah, you've kind of, you know, created your own, your own segment of content specifically curated for tourists that are looking to come to the country or for others in the country to share with people. Yeah, exactly. That's the hope, at least, and I'm trying. Yeah. Um, so when we last talked, um, you know, we talked about your goals for your YouTube channel as well as your goals for, um, 
you know, your career and stuff. And you said that one of your things is you wanted to get some of the content that you created um, recognized by, you know, um, local tourism boards or, you know, just the... <laughs> did, I, did I actually say that? I believe so. I think the last time we talked, because I had it written down wow. somewhere, is that one of your goals was you wanted to, you know, you wanted to get some of your content shared by, like, popular, like, Instagram pages or Facebook pages or even just, like, um, within the country, you wanted your yeah. work to be seen more. And so, definitely, I believe you've met that you've met that goal. Cause over, I definitely have. Over yes. the last few months, you know, you've been subject to uh, increased publicity within Albania. You know, you've gotten your photography and your videos featured on various social media platforms. And you've even been asked to give interviews on local programming and uh, television and news and stuff. So what's it been like having the opportunity to showcase your work in front of thousands of people, you know, and gain some recognition on your work by local Albanian citizens and networks like that? One of the things that scares me the most about making videos about another country and another culture is that I will get information wrong mm -hmm. and be spreading false information. Um, now, let's not get that confused with spreading differing opinions because I made a video about the Albanian flag. The history that I found about the Albanian flag was the best that I could possibly find. I didn't go super in depth, mm -hmm. but I've had hundreds of comments on that video talking about how I'm wrong or it's this or it's that or it's this other thing. Yeah. And that to me, okay, you can have a different opinion. You know, you, a lot of the Serbians talk about how Albania stole the flag from Serbia. Okay, you can think that. I'm going off of what my research says, what I've found, um, what, people, what people that know what they're talking about have told me, and that's what I'm sharing. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that local, well, local within the country, but even national level um, TV stations yep. have asked to interview me, have put my footage onto their TV screens across the country <laughs> while interviewing me, tells me that I must be doing something right. However slight, I must be doing something right. And by yeah. that I mean, I'm not misrepresenting their country. Mm -hmm. I'm representing their country in the way that they want their country to be represented, but not the way that the world sees their country. Because the perceptions of Albania come from, largely from the movie Taken, where Liam Neeson chases down Albanians to find his wife or his daughter or whatever. Yeah. Um, and things like that. Albanians are often painted as the bad guys. Um, and it's crazy. I mean, I heard a story. I had a dinner with a guy a few weeks ago or a few months ago from Belgium. who's hitchhiking through Albania. We ate dinner together. And he said that one of the people that he was hitchhiking with were two German girls that filled up in Montenegro. They filled their car up in Montenegro and they had made a decision they were not going to fill up their car again until they got to Greece. They were not going to stop in Albania at all. Now forget the fact that they stopped to pick up a random hitchhiker, but it was this perception of people that are within driving distance of this country, you know, that 
think it's so dangerous that they don't want to stop even to fill their car up with gas. Um, and I'm trying to do whatever I can to show the world that that's not the case. That's not what Albania is like. In fact, Albania is almost a polar opposite of that in, in my experience. Obviously, people treat me well. Obviously, I'm a six foot four, 200 pound man that you're not going to mess with if you see me walking down the street sort of thing. But I've been treated with nothing but kindness and generosity since I moved here almost a year ago. By random people, by people that I know, by people that I've seen multiple times, people that I've never, even people I can't even talk to. My landlord the other day, she speaks only Albanian. I speak only a little Albanian, but not enough to be able to communicate well. Brings me this basket full of cherries from the cherry tree out in front of the house. Like, in the U.S., maybe some landlords would do that. But Highly like, doubtful. At the very, it's doubtful, and at the very least, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you can, you can pick cherries. You can eat them. But her grandkids had picked these cherries, and they had so many, they were like, here, please, you have some. Mm -hmm. The other day was the, um, the end of uh, the, the Muslim uh, fast, the end of Ramadan. Yeah. And, and the way that you celebrate at the end is you get with family and you eat. You know, it's just a celebration at the end of Ramadan. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't at home that day, but I later found out that they tried to bring me some candy and some food that day because that's what you do. But it's that sort of thing where it's just like, like, why do people think that this country is full of thugs and mafia members? Yeah, sure, there are thugs and maybe mafia here. But by being asked to come on national television, being asked to be in interviews um, by Albanians, by Albanian TV stations, by Albanian magazines, um, it shows me that I have the support of, maybe not everybody, but I have the support of a large part of the Albanian people because I'm showing their country in a positive light. Now that's not to say that I'm ignoring the negatives. If you look at my channel, there are a couple of videos that talk about negative aspects of Albania. Mm -hmm. But everywhere is so negative about Albania, even in their own country, oftentimes Albanians are negative about their own country. And so I'm trying to offset that. I'm trying to tilt the scales the other direction with a healthy dose of, okay, here's realism, but let's talk about all the positives. Let's talk about some of the interesting, fascinating history. You know, sure, communist dictatorship for, for decades, but it's still fascinating. Like, I understand people suffered. I'm not, I'm not putting, like, I'm not um, ignoring that fact. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting, and it's fascinating, and, I, and, I, and people don't know about it. I mean, it, pretty soon I'll be coming out with a video about these concrete bunkers that were built all over Albania, over 160,000 concrete bunkers built because the communist dictator was convinced that his country was going to be invaded, and so he built these bunkers to help with defense. Well, the bunkers, from what I've been told, were never used for that because Albania was never... I mean, scratch that. The bunkers were never used for that during that time. The bunkers were filled for other reasons in other wars, but they were never used for, their, for what they were built for, like the specific reason that they were built for. But they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I'm sitting in my office right now and there's a painting on the wall next to me and there's a bunker in the painting because it's part of Albania. You walk down, you drive through Albania and you can't help but see them in the mountains and along the borders of the country, along the coast. Like they're everywhere. And it's this constant reminder of the, the suffering and the pain that this country had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so interesting to me. Now I get that like for someone, seeing the bunker maybe reminds them of that time and that's painful and I understand that. But that doesn't mean that you can't learn from it. It doesn't mean it's not interesting. I mean, it's history. You, you, you have to talk about it. Um, and so there's a long-winded answer to your question. But the support that I've gotten from Instagram pages, Facebook pages, um, government, like municipalities, like one of my videos was shared by the municipality Facebook page of the city that I filmed the, filmed the video in. Um, and then national television stations are you know, asked me to come and interview and shared my footage and you know that sort of stuff, and that to me is just indicative of the support that most of the country has been giving me, mm-hmm. and it uh, kind of is more pressure to not mess anything up and not you know spread any false information. Yeah. But it's very very encouraging, and I, I said to even the people that I was interviewing with. I don't care if I'm not, like, I would rather have my videos be on there than my face be on there, you know? Because after that conversation two years ago with the Polish guy who said I was being narcissistic, it's not about me anymore. I'm trying to do what I can to help change the perception, the world's perception of this country. And I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, you're doing a great job of it and their support towards the, the content that you're making definitely shows that you are showcasing their com- their country history and, you know, citing a very positive format. But it's the, the remembrance of, you know, the past and the history that kind of lends a hand to what the country's like today and is probably one of the main reasons why the majority of the Albanians that you've come in contact with, you know, are so kind and generous is because of all the suffering that they've had. They don't want to have to, you know, emulate that as well as live in, you know, oppression based on the fears of, what's happened in the past and whether or not it'll happen again. But, you know, you're showcasing that in a positive light to show people that Albania isn't precisely what people perceive it to be. There There are a lot of people that are kind and generous and, you know, are very helpful and you try to communicate that as well as communicate with them in the best way possible. Right. I'm yeah, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah, and I think their their support uh for you will continue to, you know, help motivate you to release more content and continue to uh showcase their country in such a uh, it's positive way. The support is overwhelming. I've yeah. gotten so many people offering me help offering me to stay places, offering me 
food if I come to their restaurant, like all sorts of stuff. Just just anything I need, they're offering to help, mm-hmm. um, which is unbelievable. And then and then YouTube comment after YouTube comment of people just saying, you know, um, you know, thank you for what you're doing. And that to me, it, like I don't even notice the comments that are ridiculing me or calling me a stupid American for moving here or whatever. Like the comments from the Albanians that are living here or maybe have moved to, moved abroad that are thanking me for being here and, and making these videos. I mean, I would be making these videos even without that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I have that, it's so much more motivating to continue. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. It, it, it really is, you know, fantastic kind of the, the support that they've continued to show and so all the great comments that have continued to, you know, pour in on your channel just to let you know that they're very appreciative of the content that you're you're making showcasing their country. Yeah. Now, this kind of kind of a bit off topic this one of these last questions. Um, all right. But, you know, the photos that you take and that you share are anything but dull. You know, you you take and you showcase some of some of the most beautiful landscape shots, and you share them on Instagram and stuff. Um, and you also include a lot of aerial shots in your video and a lot of aerial pictures from the sky using a drone. Um, but you know, around the world, the use of drones has been become sort of a controversial topic. Um, yep. many countries implementing a lot of rules and regulations that restrict people from even using them. Um, so what has your experience been like with, uh, drone use in some of the countries that you've traveled to, or even in Albania? I can tell you right off the bat, drone use in Albania is far from regulated. At times I wish it was more regulated than it currently is, but then at other times I'm very thankful that it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people here that are very irresponsible with drones, but at the same time, there are very few people with drones, so it doesn't really matter that much. As far as I know, the government here doesn't care about drone usage at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I This morning or last night, I watched Peter McKinnon's video about drone laws in Canada and how crazy they're getting, and I've had friends text me from the U.S. talking about the crazy laws that now in the U.S. And in all of my time traveling, I've never, I'm, I err on the side of like caution when it comes to drones, mm-hmm. um, but I've never had someone, I've never gotten in trouble for flying the drone. I've never had someone upset with me. I've flown in some situations that maybe I shouldn't have necessarily, um, you know, as far as like over crowds of people or something like that. But ultimately, I consider myself a safe pilot, and there were times where you know I'm flying over a crowd of people, the drone doesn't lose its GPS signal, and so it's kind of drifting everywhere, and I just call it a day and land the thing, and I'm like, sorry, I'm not going to fly right now. I, it, it, I don't feel safe. I don't want this thing falling out of the out of the sky and hitting somebody. Um, I also don't try to push any limits, so I'm not going to go and like try to hide in some corner of a national park so I can fly my drone in there. Like that's not worth it to me. Yeah. Um, because it's the people like that that then cause these other drone laws to come into play. Um, I am trying to think, depending on where I go in certain countries, I choose whether or not to bring my drone. Um, 
if I'm going to primarily be in cities, I won't. I won't even bother because I know that like if I put it up, I'm going to be like thinking twice about it and should I really be flying here and that sort of stuff. And in Europe, some of the bigger cities, there's the whole city's no fly zone, so it's not even worth it. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I mean, <laughs> it sucks. The new drone laws around most of the world suck, but I'm happy I live in Albania <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is Pierre McKinnon's video on the new drone laws in Canada was sort of driving the inspiration behind that question because, you know, I've been keeping up with them as I'm a, I'm a drone uh, pilot myself. I use drones in a lot of my YouTube videos and for pictures and stuff like that. And so I was just curious on what the restrictions were like, you know, on, the, on your side of the world. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Rome, Paris... London, as far as I know, those the entire the entire cities are no fly zones, um, and um, Albania. I mean, I just basically follow the same, more or less, the same laws that the U.S. had when I lived there. So you know, stay away from airports. Don't fly over a certain height. Sometimes, depending on where I am, I don't listen to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's not, as far as I know, that law doesn't exist here, so it doesn't matter. Um, but the government here, I think that's the last thing on their mind, honestly. Yep. So, there's, as far as Albania, there's little to no restrictions. I just, I just err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely err on the side of caution when using drones because... Uh... You know, with rules and restrictions coming up, and even though there may not be more prevalent rules and restrictions, you know, just play it safe in case, you know, something were to go wrong. But Absolutely, absolutely. Being able to uh, fly your drone without a ton of restrictions can also be uh, a bit liberating when you're you're visualizing this shot in your head that, you know, you want to be able to capture and showcase. Uh, Absolutely, definitely opens up yeah, a lot of opportunities sure. to get the shot that you're that you're looking to get. Most definitely, most definitely. All right, so we'll just uh, do some closing questions. Um, what are like one to two pieces of advice that you can give to sort of help motivate other creators? You know, just get up and. Uh, go create and start sharing content based off of your experiences. I mean, honestly, that you said it right there, the biggest one, get up and go create, because I quit my full-time job because I wanted to be able to take YouTube more seriously, and I wanted to be able to make videos um, with more time and travel more. I made 100 videos in 100 days after that. Well, uploaded, didn't make all of them, but I uploaded 100 videos in 100 days. Um, and got nothing out of it, got barely any subscribers, but I, but I got better at what I was doing. Um, then fast forward two years and I got a job because of that. I got a job doing creation, exactly what I was talking about because of that. Moved to Albania, 350 subscribers just was making videos, just because I liked it, because I still like it. Made a commitment to myself to make a video every week for the remainder of 2018, which I did. 
by March of 2019, 700 subscribers. So in six months, about six months, I doubled my subscribers, which was great to me. I was like, great, three, 30 subscribers a month, you know, or uh, ish was what I was getting. I was like, this is fantastic. Not 30, maybe 30. Anyway, I doubled my subscribers. Was, I thought, oh, this is great. But just kept making videos when I did. I had one video take off. And this, what I told everybody was I was building a foundation because as soon as I have that one video take off, I don't want an empty channel. I don't want a channel of, of cruddy content. I want quality content that when someone sees one video, they can go back and look at all my other videos and say, all of these are made to the same quality. And that's what's gonna cause someone to subscribe to you. So, slow movement. But then had that one video that took off and grew three or 4,000 in 10 days. Um, which was like mind boggling. Like I still forget that that happened. Like I still feel like I'm making videos for 500 subscribers. And then I see my most recent video I uploaded a couple weeks ago and it's over 50,000 views now. And it's just been steadily climbing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 50,000, like what? That makes no sense to me. Like why are 50,000 people watching this video? Yeah. I'm happy for it, it's great, but it's just not, but it all boiled down to just keep doing. And that comes like also like learn that from basketball where when you're shooting a basketball, you work on the muscle memory. So if you sit there, what I, the, the best thing that I did for my shooting a basketball was just shooting free throws over and over and over again for hours because you get that motion down and then it doesn't matter where you are on the floor. That motion is the exact same and you use your legs for, for different amounts of power. And that just repetition, constant repetition is what leads to success. Um, and success will be different for different people. To me, I felt successful just because I was able to make videos for a living. Even when I was freelance and I was making almost nothing, <laughs> barely making a living making videos. But then to now where I have a full-time full -time job making videos. And then YouTube where I'm making a little bit of extra money on the side making videos. Like all of these little things just came from just keep doing, going out and creating. Even though I wasn't creating for anybody except for myself. I was just creating for the sake of creating, for creating because I was having fun. And that's the best piece of advice that I can give someone who's doing any sort of content creation is just keep putting stuff out. Because at the end of the day, the worst thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna get better at what you're doing. It's the absolute worst thing that's gonna happen. I mean, you might get a little bit burned out, but you'll be better if you're burned out. Yeah. The only downside is that you're going to get better at and inching closer to accomplishing your goal. Exactly. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, I see people that are discouraged mm -hmm. when they're, when they've been doing, you know, they've made this many videos and they only have this many subscribers or they haven't made any money. And to me, it's like, well, if that's what you're worried about, then you weren't doing it for the right reason in the first place. Yep. When I first started making YouTube videos, I was like, oh, I'm gonna make money off YouTube. And then after 100 videos, I realized, yeah, I'm not gonna make a dime off of this. Yeah. And then when I had gotten away, I was like, oh yeah, let's do this series. Like, who cares about making any money? I'm just gonna do this to help share Albania with the world. Boom, monetization kicks in and I get my first YouTube paycheck. And I was like, hold on. I wasn't even trying to get this now. Yeah. As soon as you stop working for it, 
mm-hmm. and you start just doing things for yourself and doing things with what you enjoy, then the, the rest of it came through. So get out and just keep creating. That's what yes. I would say. Focus on the content and not the rewards and the rewards will come in the long run. Patience. Exactly. Patience is uh, patience. the key Always for patience. playing the long game when it comes to creating content on YouTube or any social media platform. Always patience. So for maybe the few of those people who, you know, don't know where to find you on the internet, if they're listening to this, you know, where, where can they find you? Uh, where's your primary place that people should go to see everything that you're up to? Um, primary place to see what I'm up to is probably Instagram. Um, uh, and my username is the exact same across all social media platforms. Just my name, James Lightheart. Um, Lightheart, L-E-I-T-H-A-R-T. Um, if they care at all about Albania, go to YouTube. Um, but I've decided for, while I live here, to dedicate, you know, almost all if not all of my youtube stuff to albania and so when i travel elsewhere that stuff's not going to show up on on youtube except for maybe year in review videos you know year end videos mm-hmm. um so if, if albania doesn't interest you at all then don't bother coming to my youtube if unless you like me and you like watching my videos and that's fine but instagram is where i put instagram stories where i post photos from mostly albania right now but as i travel i'll post photos from other countries and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. Um, but i'm also on twitter facebook whatever the usuals instagram is my main main go-to and then youtube is a close second by now okay i'll definitely be sure to uh, include all of those links uh down in the show notes below uh so if anyone listening wants to go follow james on any of the social media platforms that he mentioned all of his links will be down below um, so you can go support him and uh, follow him along his journey. Um, so last time we talked, we sort of wrapped it up with your goals and like things that you were looking forward to towards the end of 2018, 2019. So now we're in the beginning of 2019 and you know, you've hit some of those milestones that you were uh, hoping to hit. So what, what are your goals now? What's the next the next stage of goals for the content that you're looking to create and uh, where do you want to see your YouTube channel or any of your content get to or grow to within the next, uh, within the rest of this year, 2019? That's, that's a hard question to answer. I generally go into things without expectations so that I can always be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And like, like like you said, one of my goals before was just to um, try to get stuff to uh, be be seen by more people, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be a constant goal: always be seen by more more. Um, and again, it's not for me; it's it's to try to showcase Albania, it's try to teach what Albania is actually like. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, you know, growing numbers would be nice, but I'm at a point where I'm like, I have my custom URL. What else do I need? Yeah, yeah. And and because I have a full-time job, because I have a full-time job, I'm not stressed at all about ad money or anything. It's like, oh, okay, maybe I'll get a paycheck this month. Maybe I won't. Depends on if I hit that threshold. Mm -hmm. If I do, fantastic. I can put more gas in my car and go somewhere else and make another cool video. If I don't, 
well then, I'll use the money that I made from my, my job and put gas in my car and go make a cool video. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and, and that's to me is like the happiest place that I can be, um, excluding not having quite enough time to make as many videos as I would like, but I'm living well, I'm living comfortably, and I'm making videos that I enjoy and other people enjoy. And goals-wise, I don't know. I mean, it would be, I would love to have a, this is like pipe dream. I would love to have a, uh, another country or even this country, someone, the, maybe not this country, I don't know. But a country's tourism bureau see my videos and ask me to come do, make some videos in their country kind of in the same way. I would love that. Yeah. But at this point, it's very far-fetched. I mean, sitting at maybe almost 8,500 subs, like that's not coming anytime soon. And that's okay with me because I'm used to working for goals, you know? Like I said, I had a goal since I was five or six to try to play in NCAA basketball. Well, that obviously didn't happen until I was 18. Yeah. And so it's like, all right, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll look way in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, goals for 2019 specifically? I don't know. Maybe connect with some of these Albanian creators that I haven't met or maybe that I don't know exist Mm -hmm. Um, and make some cool videos, make some more videos. Yeah, collaborate with uh, local creators as well as, you know, just continue to uh, create content on a level that your, your desire to create at and, you know, just continue to grow and get your, your content in front of people who either desire to travel to Albania or who already live in Albania and, you know, just want to see what other or parts maybe, of the country. Or maybe don't want to travel here and just want to learn about it. Just want to see what it's like. Yeah. All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> Goals for 2019 are just continue to create content and grow. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> Full steam ahead. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's the hope. <laughs> well, again, you know, thank you for, you know, be willing, being willing to come back on the podcast after the, uh, the original lost episode of uh, this podcast. And... Yeah, I appreciate you having me. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to screenshot it, post it to your Instagram story, tagging at James Lightheart and at Aiden underscore Carpenter or leave us a quick review on the iTunes podcast app. Have a question? Feel free to leave a voice message on Anchor or tweet me at Aiden Carpenter using hashtag behind the lens or hashtag BTL pod to be answered on a future podcast. To those of you already supporting the show, thank you. If you're not already a supporter and you'd like to help make this show possible, tap the link in the episode's description or visit anchor.fm forward slash BTL pod to become a monthly supporter for as little as $1 a month.